0: Hey what's going on guys so as you may know I usually do the uh, Q&A's live and I did this Q&A in the past on March 10th with my uh, colleague and buddy uh, Sadwally but the recording unfortunately was pretty much not that great so I thought I'm going to redo this podcast episode and I'm going to re-answer the questions so we have a nice clean and clear episode with the answers. So I'm going to start off with question number one was I have a listing coming up and have a couple questions. Should I put it on the market on Monday even though it is March break? Um, And question two is that I've noticed the market has shown a bit of a slowdown in terms of the number of showings and offers. I've seen homes get price changes after offer day fails. Should I list at the market price or should I list the home lower with an offer date even with the fact that some of them have not sold on offer date so that is a really good question and it's a really good question in terms of listing it on uh, during the March break or not I would have normally said just wait for after the March break but the last two years have not been normal and because of that it tends to not really make a difference at this moment. Going forward in the future, that might change and it might go back to the normal patterns because normally, you know, we have little cycles of when it's busier, when it's not busier. It hasn't uh, been the case for the last couple of years. So I would suggest list it whenever it's ready. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, that the market has shown signs of slowing down in some areas, that is partially true. I mean, recently, the interest rates have gone up. I don't think that was the major contributor as much as that uh, there's a little bit of buyer fatigue going on where people putting in offer after offer after offer and constantly losing. A lot of people are holding back and waiting. Plus, with the changes um, to the interest rate, plus with the proposed changes to investment um, rules or what the government wants to do some changes, which I'll get into a little later, And on top of that, with the fact that there's going to be more interest changes, we have a war going on out in uh, Ukraine that may not be in Canada, but people are taking what I call the spectator's route and pulling back and watching to see what's going on. So, in a way, that could be an opportunity for a person looking to buy. This might be a small window available to you that might be able to get you to slide in there and get the home you want with less competition than there was previously before people come back and and start the madness again now again this has been area dependent some areas are still getting 20 offers while other areas there's you know it's been affected now here's an interesting fact i believe i saw In Toronto, there has been 181 price changes last week, which basically means 181 listings failed on offer date. So again, could be a window. Um, In terms of how you price the um, home, which one you should do, because it's area dependent, I would say go in, look at the market and check the area within a two-kilometer radius of where the current house is and I would do a comparison for the last two months there see what's been happening if you've been noticing uh, a few price changes then that means chances are that area has been affected then I would just go in closer to market value if you notice the homes in the two kilometer radius are still doing offer days and still getting successful offer days that market's still hot I would list it I would uh still uh take the uh offer date uh resolution and you know price a little bit lower to you know to spark the bid um number two i'm interested in putting an offer on a house i was told that it has aluminum wire i'm not sure if that's something that's normal or not or anything i have to worry about or know about um aluminum wiring is really not the big trigger It's more of if it was knob and tube So, aluminum is fine. You might want to check if there's a fuse box or if it's a circuit breaker. If it's a circuit breaker, it should be no problem whatsoever. If you have a fuse box, your insurance may want you to change the uh, circuit breaker, I mean, circuit, the the panel into a circuit breaker, which typically has been just under $3,000 to do. So, it's really not that big of a deal. Um, Number three, my wife and I are looking to buy a new home and we went to see a few of them already she keeps bringing up school ratings i didn't think much of it and wondered why that mattered should we be focused on the home itself if the schools are close by what's the difference also what would that rating affect my resale value so my answer to this question is that it's a yes and no answer um does' it matter? Not that much. Is there an effect? A little bit. And what it, what it comes down to is that obviously if there's other people looking for school ratings, so it's going to be a family looking at it. So if other families are looking at it with you know with children and stuff and they're looking at that, that may be something they consider it should you want to resell it. Um, so it could have a little bit of an effect. But again, if you have single people looking, I don't think they're going to think of that stuff. And I don't think they're going to care. So I don't think it's going to be a major impact, but it could be a minor impact. Um, In terms of, again, if you really like the home and you like the area, as long as it's, you know, some form of a reputable area. It's not like uh, you don't feel the need that you need a bulletproof vest. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating, but my point is that it's like, if you feel relatively good about the area, I wouldn't let that be your sole factor that's going to determine whether or not you're going to take this house. You know what I mean? You have a good feeling. You like the area. If the school's not number one and it's number five, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Now, remember also, if there's any effect and pretend there's a 1% effect, that means you're going to end up paying 1% less. So when you sell, you're going to pay, sell for 1% less. Give and take. You pay a million today and you sell for one2 later. Whatever you're going to buy is the one2 etc., etc. So it's not going to be that major, that, that, that big of a deal, really, to be honest. I wouldn't put too much thought into it. Now, if it's important to you because of your own kids, then that's a personal reason and it has nothing to do with the house. That's... That's going to be a conversation you have with your wife on whether she's okay with putting in your your kids in the uh, school that's ranked number five. Um, but again, that has nothing to do with the house. Minor difference. Is there a difference? Sure, but not a big enough. Like I wouldn't go and spend another three months looking at houses and con- and continuously bidding on houses just to avoid that because it may not be the top you know uh, home in the school or the top school in the area, I mean. Um, because especially look how hard it's been to land a house these days. So, number four, what's the pros and cons of buying an assignment sale in a high-rise condo? Well, a pro of buying an assignment sale is you get to move in sooner. A con is that uh, you have missed the pr- phase one, phase two pricing, so you're pretty much paying the market value to move in. Um, a pro, uh, another pro is a brand new building So you got the 7 year on warranty when you do move in um, Versus if you bought a resale Warranty could be off Already it could be done So that's kind of a positive uh, What else Then there's um, The pro is Yes um, bro that's gone uh, What else what else what else In terms of yeah so okay You get to move in sooner um, again, uh, there's, hmm, damn me. Uh, what else? Assignments, Ill, High-rise condo. Yeah. Basically you get to move in sooner than later. You're not waiting around. Um, chances are, if you're buying an assignment, you're not competing in bids like you are right now with other homes. Okay. Chances are the assignment is not in a bidding war. So you kind of know what you're getting into. Um, again, you're the first person who lived in the house. Again, downside is you didn't get the phase one and two pricing. You got market value. Um, The next thing is that um, you're going to be, when you get the assignment sale, you're going to be stuck with the, uh, what do you call again? Um, Oh, what's it called again? Well, well, it's basically, I forgot the name, but when you move in and you take possession, you don't necessarily close because you don't close until the building is registered. So what ends up happening is it's almost like you pay rent um it's because you take possession but it's not owned yet because you don't get title until the building is registered so you're gonna end up getting stuck with the uh, possession cost there and that's one of the cons i mean you would have whether it was uh whether you bought the first one like right off the bat or not you would have got stuck with it like that that hasn't changed but the difference is that like i'll give you an example if um if you have bought on phase one, pretend you bought a condo in phase, like in phase one of the pricing and you got it for 500,000 phase two might've been five fifty, and now market value just say six fifty. So what happens is now you're going to buy it at the 650 You're going to move in and the builder is going to take their, uh, their fees when all that, right. But, you know, cause you're, you know, cause you're taking possession and you're going to end up paying, just say it's a thousand bucks. I mean, it's still cheaper than normal rent but now what happens is with that thousand bucks a month that you're paying, it's not going towards your mortgage. Now you're single K that would have been, I just said is the same, whether you bought it at the 500 level or the 650. Well, the difference is if you had bought it at the 500 level, even if you paid that thousand for the eight months that it took for them to register, that means your total cost in is 508. Where now your total cost would have been 658 as an example. So there's added cost there that you don't see. Um, Again, the other downside is you have to have the whole down payment. So if if the person's asking for a hundred thousand, you're as an example for the down payment, you don't have to pay the hundred thousand. Where a new when you know when you buy it from the builder and you're the first person to buy it, it's not assignment. You would have to put your five thousand dollars down on signing, you would have to put the remainder of the five percent at the end of 30 days, and then you would have paid it over a year or two while they were waiting. Versus now you have to have the deposit. There's no pay laters. So that's, that's the bulk of the difference. Um, number five, considering the cost of gas and how cars will be fully electric by 2035, what will older condos that don't have plugs in the underground do to solve this? Is this something that I should be worried about in terms of maintenance fees, extra cost, or value of my condo? Um, well, clearly... Older condos will have to put it in, which obviously there's going to be a cost to it, which could result in a special assessment. And if you get a special assessment, that can come in different forms. You might have to pay, just say, now remember, it's going to be for all the parking spots and it's divided amongst the units and it's a percentage, right? Depending on the space you have. Now, I'll give you an example. So it could be that, It could work out. It might not be as expensive as it sounds. Like the the bill could be just a hundred thousand for the building, but when you divide amongst the number of units in there, it might only end up being like two three thousand bucks, even if it's five thousand bucks as an example. But it does bring your condo more you know up to snuff. So anybody with an electric car can actually park it there because it may be a pain in the ass if they don't do that. So what I keep, it won't like at 2035, it won't increase the value because at that point in time, it's too late and that'll be something people just need. But if your building did it, just say in 2025, that might be an attraction. So if you were selling your unit, it would actually help. But in terms of uh, the actual extra fees and values, um, every condo that that doesn't have it is going to have to do it. So this your unit won't be unique. So and in terms of uh, payments and stuff, sometimes they won't ask you for the whole five thousand bucks, whatever. They might, as a special assessment, they might put it on your maintenance fees. So if you're paying four ninety for your maintenance fee, you might end up paying five ten, an extra twenty bucks a month or whatever. The point is, it's going to be a minor thing, not something to be overly concerned about. But yes, it will affect the uh, the your monthly payments, obviously, Um, in terms of value, depends when they do it. If they do it earlier than later, it's more of an attraction. So it might have more people interested. But um, as time goes by, it'll be worth less and less because every building will have to have it. So again, not something to uh, overly worry about. It's just part of life now. Um, Okay. Number six, I made a 75 K a year. I want to get into the real estate market, but it seems impossible. I have an $80,000 down payment, but I am told that I probably can't get more than $430,000, including my down payment as a mortgage. What can I do to change this? Any advice on what I should do going forward? Um, In terms of that, you have many options. Option one, well, option one (laughs) buy somewhere that is in that $430,000 range if that still exists, depending where you are. Um, Reality is that um, I would get a pre-approval from a mortgage agent because uh, if that's speculation, you might get less, you might get more, you just don't know. I would get approved so you know your actual number. But that aside pretend it is the 40 30. an option might be a joint venture partnering up with somebody maybe getting a place maybe if two of you doing the same thing and you both get 430 you get 860 you buy a place together and now you're splitting it so that might be an option to get into the market that makes it a little less pressure um, that's one option two. Um, again, yeah, joint venture, that's the best way you can get multiple people, multiple people invest into, uh, a- into a unit makes it even cheaper. Um, you could always, um, yeah, you know what, get a, maybe get, go to your family and see if your parents will, uh, if you don't want to go to a friend or a stranger or whatever, go to your parents, maybe they will invest with you that can help you with that. Um, well, one, one suggestion is you could, um, Maybe buy a bungalow or something, have your parents come in with you, you know, and then rent one floor. The rental cover your parents, you know, portion of that mortgage so they don't have to worry about the payments. And you can cover the difference so you're still building equity into that place. And then when you build enough equity and you have enough saved up, you can then later buy them out and take the home, on, you know, in your own name and just have it on your own. That's an option. The other thing you could do is you can just keep saving money until you have enough. Um, That's going to be the longer process. I work in Toronto. I bought a home in Hamilton in 2020 when the work from home began. I was sure that it would be permanent, but my work has talked about hybrid models, where we would go into the office two days a week. I'm perfectly fine with that with the exception that with rising gas prices and cost of everything else, it's going to be much more expensive to go to work in the city. I'm wondering if that will affect the home prices going forward because I can't see people wanting to do the drive if they work downtown. It just seems to be too expensive. If this is the case, am I better off to sell a semi-detached home in Hamilton and just move to Toronto uh, in a condo? Or, you know, somewhere close to Toronto. You know, where I I feel like... uh, Like I live where I, I I like where I live. I'm just worried about values dropping and the cost of driving to work. Well, at the end of the day, you could have just bought the condo in the beginning. You decided that you wanted, you didn't want the condo. You wanted to, you would rather be out in Hamilton with a semi-detached over buying a condo downtown. So obviously there was a reason you wanted that to begin with, in terms of. Would I sell? It doesn't sound like something you really want to do. Sounds more like you're just worried about costs. One of the things you could do is take the GO train. The GO train, they're expanding the GO train to go all the way from Niagara and putting in stops, going to Brantford. There's so many opportunities out there with the expansion. With that being said, I mean, who knows when that'll be done, but there's still opportunities now. You can drive to the GO station in Burlington. You could uh, park your car there. And then... Take the go station all the way downtown and then save yourself the gas there. It's a lot less uh, expensive than driving. That's an option. Um, In terms of, again, you wanted the semi-detached. You got a freehold and I wouldn't sell it. If you're adamant about moving back, but you're not really sure. I mean, life changes. Things change. Look at March 2020. You started working from home. Would you have expected that? You don't know what the future holds. I would not get rid of it. Another opportunity you can have is to rent out your semi-detached and rent like to someone else, so that pays the mortgage, and then you just rent a condo or something downtown close to your work. So then, essentially, you're still building your equity out in Hamilton and you're living in the city, and it's not costing you any more. So later on, if you decide you want to go back, you can go back when, you, when the tenant's lease is up. You can uh, evict them, and then you can move back in. That's an option as well. But, I mean, again, you can go to Ghost go station. I wouldn't sell it because, obviously, you wanted that house. You liked the house. Again, with the way things are, you don't know what your future is. You might find another job opportunity somewhere that you want to take, and it might be closer to work. So then what? You really don't know what the future holds. I wouldn't sell quite yet. At the end of the day, you got to decide what's right for you, though. Um, Would you... uh, would it lose value because it's in Hamilton? No. No, right now, actually, to be honest, Hamilton is expanding and growing. If anything, the value is going to be on uh, on turbo right now. So we're going to experience rapid growth. I wouldn't sell it. Uh, I, I wouldn't worry about the values going down because it would be the same everywhere. If Hamilton went down, so would Toronto. Everywhere will go down. That means that we're going for, through a correction that would have nothing to do with the proximity to Toronto in terms of value that way. So no, I wouldn't worry about it. It's up to you. I finished my real estate courses at Humber. I am looking to join a brokerage. I have friends at Royal LePage and thought about that. Also considered EXP. I have known people from other brokerages, but those two are the ones that have caught my interest. What is your advice on how to choose between the two? Well, number one, first things first, don't base things on on, uh, commission splits. I would base it on more than that. Who's going to offer you the support? Now, let's be honest. If you're joining my team or joining my line, EXP, because uh, you can get support from me. But all jokes aside, well, it's not really a joke. It's true. So, But that aside, if you're a new agent, you got to decide, do you want more of a tech-based brokerage? You know, somebody's forward-thinking, forward you know, like and all up to to date and, you know, with technology and stuff. If that's something that interests you, eXp has really great options. If you want to, um, if you're looking for the old traditional office space that you just want to walk into a building that has a bunch of people hanging around the desk and working out there, traditional brokerages have that too, uh, you gotta also feel who you drive with in terms of the people that work there. Who can you reach out to? You should figure that out. Who you could just figure out who you can reach out to. Should you need support? What is the support that either of them are offering? And the one that offers you the most support is the one you should choose. Typically, the old brick and mortar brokerage seems like the easiest way to start it. So it's almost like start at Royal Page, then when you're comfortable, move to Exp just a thought um again want to join my downline my team i offer support that's an option as well but no pressure um other than that yeah like i mean Royal page i started off with Royal page they have a great uh a great support for uh new agents starting out um and there's nothing wrong with the brokerage i i personally i loved it i loved it myself um i left for different reasons but That have nothing to do with the brokerage itself, actually. So, yeah, Royal Pages, both companies give you different options. Got to see what jives for you. Neither of them are wrong. Just figure out where you're going to get the support the most, and who has the most the better options for you. Number nine. What is the advantage of having solar panels on my house besides the obvious electricity savings? Would that be something that makes my home more attractive to buyers, or would it be more of a burden later? I would say a little bit of both, and what I mean is that sure, solar panels can help; it'll reduce your um, electric electricity bills. But at the same time, those uh, solar panels were probably expensive to install, and probably going to be expensive to replace too when the roof needs to be replaced. It's not going to be a you know, like a, it's not going to be a like a typical roof repair. And, you know what I mean? Because you add those solar panels, it's going to add cost to that there. So where you save in one area, you're going to spend in a different area. It's, um, I don't think it's a big attraction right now, but that could change. Um, I, In a way, I think it's kind of still too new. I mean, it's not a new concept in the way that it's been around for a while. But I don't think it's very well understood. And again, with the extra cost of repairs later, it might outweigh the, the electrical savings. On a, per, on a personal level, I prefer without the solar panels. Again, you got a home you really like. Is that going to be the deal breaker? Probably not. I would keep it, maybe keep it, have it on solar panel. Find out if it's still attached to the grid or not, because that, 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 that's a major factor. Because if it's still attached to the grid where well, you still have electricity coming in and you could remove the panels, then I would move in, use the panels as, uh, while they're working. And basically, when it's time to redo the roof and replace everything, I would just rip them off and stay on the uh, grid. That's my opinion. Um, you may decide you like it. You may decide the extra money is worth it. Um and the reason that it's important to know whether you're still connected to the grid or not, because if you're not connected to the grid and you're relying solely on that solar panels, then when you if you need to go back to the grid, that is going to be a fortune. And if you have to connect to the grid later, that's something you should know because that could be a deal breaker. So I would just get as much, uh, you know, much information as possible because sometimes the uh, energy from the solar panels, they actually feed back into the grid and you can get actually, you know, you can get rebates and stuff for that too. So I would get all the details before making that decision. I am seeing a lot of price changes in the last week or two. Does that mean that is a good time to sell or buy or a bad time? Hmm. Well, like I said, I, I read somewhere there's 181 price changes just in Toronto. So you might have a small window of opportunity to get in now. Um, it might not make a difference in the way that the price changes or not that they lowered the price. It's people went in for a bidding war and the bidding war failed. So now they're actually changing the price to match actual market value. Um, again, you got to look at what happened in the area. What end up ha- if, if houses gone for a million on average, even though there was a price change, That neighbor who saw the other neighbor sell for a million is not going to take 900,000 or 950. They're going to expect that million that the other house got. What they were hoping for, obviously, is to go beyond the million by having the offer date. Clearly, that didn't happen. So, again, is it worth a try? Absolutely. You're better off to go in there. Now, it might be a little bit of an opportunity to get in there and to uh, see if you can secure something. In terms of selling, it comes down to how bad you need to sell it. If you bought a place and you need to move and you, you really need to sell it, then you don't really have a choice. If it's one of those things that you can, um, you, you you're in no rush, put it on the market for the price you want. You get the price, you get the price, and then you move. If you don't get the price, don't sell it. it really could be that simple. So there's an opportunity there to just test the market, see what happens. If you're uh, interested in selling it and you get the right price, take it. If you don't, hold on to it. Wait for the market to buzz back or to get back on track, which trust me when I say this, it will be very, very soon. I think we're just a pause with everything that's going on. Things have just opened up in the in the country. People can fly again. Um, things are, people are getting out. You know, I, March break is here. I think people are just taking a pause. Um, I don't think it's a long pause. It's just a short pause and people are just, like I said, they're just Hanging back and observing right now seeing what's going to happen based on everything that's going on in the world. Short window, and then the madness will come back. So looking to buy, give it a try, looking to sell. Sell if you get the right price. Hold on to it if you don't. 11. I was talking to my friend who is a real estate investor. He says he follows the Burr strategy, and I don't know what that was, and I'm too embarrassed to ask him. I first thought he meant buys in the winter and burr, it's cold for wear a jacket. Code for wear a jacket. Sorry, not cold. Code for wear a jacket. I don't ask him because, again, I'm too embarrassed. Can you explain to me what that is? Yeah, it's just a term people use and um, no embarrassment needed because, believe it or not, I asked that question too. I didn't know what it was. I kept hearing burr, and I thought the same thing. It's like people are cold. Why are they cold? Right? But it's not really. It's buy, renovate. Rent, refinance—that's what it stands for, and then and then repeat. Buy, rent, no, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. So that's the burst strategy. So, just a term for uh, basically investors. My wife and I have had four properties other than the one we live in. I'm tired of dealing with all the stress of running around collecting the rents, sending in contractors. Every time there's an issue, I want to hire a property manager, but my wife says it's too expensive. What should I do? Um, Listen to your wife. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I'm not saying don't listen to your wife. But no, maybe what's happening is that um, maybe she's concerned because obviously when you're paying the property managers, the income is going to drop. But maybe she's not seeing your point of view. Because sometimes, you know, you're spending your time, like you said, how much is that worth? At the same time, every time there's an issue, a property manager will know all the tenancy rules of what needs to be done and not need to be done. So it's a lot easier for them to maintain. When they need a contractor, they have them on hand so they don't have to go around looking for contractors. They have people they use. So that's another benefit. Of having a property manager where when you need to find something, you need to find someone that will come out and it could be charged at a premium price because you're in a rush and you don't have a contract with anyone. So you might actually pay more for the repairs than if you went through the property manager who have long-term relationships with uh, contractors and, you know, tradesmen. So there's saving opportunities to there as a result and you save your time. You might save on some of the work, Um, At the same time, rent's coming due. So maybe, maybe agree to maintain for the rest of the year, but let your wife know your intention is to get to property manager by the end of the year. And why is that going to matter? The government allows you to raise rents every year by a certain percentage. So take advantage of that at the end of the year and raise all your tenants' rents to the allowable amount the government lets you. And maybe that little extra that you're getting will help pay towards the property manager. So it's almost like you don't see an income difference or at least it's very minimal. So that might be a compromise that you can make. Other than that, I mean, you got four properties that other than the one you live in, congratulations. Celebrate, be grateful for it. Great opportunity. Sooner or later, that mortgage will be paid and it'll be pure income and you're building equity and value. So that's an amazing thing. That's something to be very proud of. Um, the property management it makes life easier and there's less headaches from it. So uh, it's not necessarily a bad idea. Again, you're right. It could be. Could you afford it? But y'all, you know, I mean, it's one of those things that if you get a property manager, are you digging into your pocket or is there enough cash flow that's covering it? If there's cash flow, this is really a no-brainer. It's better to make a, a little bit less and not be stressed than to uh, make it a little bit more and constantly be uh, worried. At the same time, if that's going to take away from your uh, working income and you guys are, uh, you know, very tight in terms of uh, finances, that might be a concern too. So I don't know your finances and that will determine it. If you guys are not too tight with finances, like you can afford it, you know, so it's not going to uh, basically <laughs> cause you to miss any payments. It might be, uh, you know, it is an investment property. You may not want uh, direct involvement that way. It may be worth having a property management. I mean, at the end, as you expand your portfolio, it will become even more and more important. At least right now, you can kind of get to build a relationship with a property manager and get to know them. So as you expand your portfolio, you'll have someone that you can already trust and go to versus learning it when it becomes overwhelming. Just a thought. This is this edition of the uh, Real Estate Q&A. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you saw and you want to get more, subscribe to the link below.